Chapter Twenty of Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Lives of the Most Remarkable Criminals, Volume Two, by Arthur L. Hayward. Chapter Twenty: The Life of Catherine Hayes, a Bloody and Inhuman Murderess, etc. Part Two. He thereupon took his leave, but going from thence to Mr. Henry Longmore's, cousin of Mr. Hayes, he related to him the story Mrs. Hayes had told him, and expressed a good deal of dissatisfaction thereat, desiring Mr. Longmore to go to her and make the same enquiry as he had done, but without saying they had seen one another. Mr. Longmore went thereupon directly to Mrs. Hayes's, and inquired in a peremptory tone for her husband. In answer, she said that she had supposed Mr. Ashby had acquainted him with the misfortune which had befallen him. Mr. Longmore replied, he had not seen Mr. Ashby for a considerable time, and knew nothing of his cousin's misfortune, not judging of any that could attend him, for he believed he was not indebted to anybody. He then asked if he was in prison for debt. She answered him, no, t'was worse than that. Mr. Longmore demanded what worse could befall him. As to any debts, he believed he had not contracted any at which she blessed God, and said that neither Mr. Hayes nor herself owed a farthing to any person in the world. Mr. Longmore, again importuning her to know what he had done to occasion his absconding so, said, I suppose he has not murdered anybody. To this she replied, he had, and beckoning him to come upstairs, related to him the story as before mentioned. Mr. Longmore, being inquisitive which way he was gone, she told him into Herefordshire, that Mr. Hayes had taken four pocket pistols with him for his security, viz., one under each arm and two in his pockets. Mr. Longmore answered, "'Twould be dangerous for him to travel in that manner, that any person seeing him so armed with pistols would cause him to be apprehended on suspicion of being a highwayman, to which she assured him that it was his usual manner. The reason of it was that he had liked to have been robbed coming out of the country.' and that once he was apprehended on suspicion of being a highwayman, but that a gentleman who knew him accidentally came in, and seeing him in custody, passed his word for his appearance, by which he was discharged. To that Mr. Longmore made answer that it was very improbable of his ever being stopped on suspicion of being a highwayman, and discharged upon a man's only passing his word for his appearance. He farther persisted which way he was supplied with money for his journey she told him she had sewn twenty-six guineas into his clothes, and that he had about him seventeen shillings in new silver. She added that Springate, who lodged there, was privy to the whole transaction, for which reason she paid a quarter's rent for her at her old lodgings, and the better to maintain what she had averred, called Springate to justify the truth of it. In concluding the discourse, she reflected on the unkind usage of Mr. Hayes towards her, which surprised Mr. Longmore more than anything else she had said yet, and strengthened his suspicion, because he had often been a witness to her giving Mr. Hayes the best of characters, viz., of a most indulgent, tender husband. Mr. Longmore then took leave of her, and returned back to his friend Mr. Ashby, when, after comparing their several notes together, they judged by very apparent reasons that Mr. Hayes must have had very ill play shown him, upon which they agreed to go to Mr. Eaton, a life-guardman, who was also an acquaintance of Mr. Hayes's, which accordingly they did, intending him to have gone to Mrs. Hayes also, to have heard what relation she would give him concerning her husband. They went and inquired at several places for him, but he was not then to be found, 
upon which Mr. Longmore and Mr. Ashby went down to Westminster to see the head at Mr. Westbrook's. When they came there, Mr. Westbrook told them that the head had been owned by a woman from Kingsland, who thought it to be her husband, but was not certain enough to swear it, though the circumstances were strong, because he had been missing from the day before the head was found. They desired to see it, and Mr. Ashby first went upstairs to look on it, and coming down, told Mr. Longmore he really thought it to be Mr. Hayes's head, upon which Mr. Longmore went up to see it, and after examining it more particularly than Mr. Ashby, confirmed him in his suspicion. Then they returned to seek out Mr. Eaton, and finding him at home, informed him of their proceedings, with the sufficient reasons upon which their suspicions were founded, and compelled him to go with them to inquire into the affair. Mr. Eaton pressed them to stay to dinner with him, which at first they agreed to, but afterwards, altering their minds, went all down to Mr. Longmore's house, and there renewed the reasons of their suspicions, not only of Mr. Hayes's being murdered, being satisfied with seeing the head, but also that his wife was privy to the same. But in order to be more fully satisfied, they agreed that Mr. Eaton should, in a day or two's time, go and inquire for Mr. Hayes, but withal taking no notice of his having seen Mr. Longmore and Mr. Ashby. In the meantime, Mr. Longmore's brother interfered, saying that it seemed apparent to him that his cousin, Mr. Hayes, had been murdered, and that Mrs. Hayes appeared very suspicious to him of being guilty with some other persons, viz. Wood and Billings, who she told him had drunk with him the night before his journey. He added, moreover, that he thought time was not to be delayed, because they might remove from their lodgings upon the least apprehensions of a discovery. His opinion prevailed as the most reasonable and Mr. Longmore said they would go about it immediately. Accordingly, he immediately applied to Mr. Justice Lambert, and acquainted him with the grounds of their suspicions, and their desire of his granting a warrant for the apprehension of the parties. On hearing the story, the Justice not only readily agreed with them in their suspicion, and complied with their demand, but said also he would get proper officers to execute it in the evening, about nine o'clock, putting Mrs. Hayes, Thomas Wood, Thomas Billings, and Mary Springate into a special warrant for that purpose. At the hour appointed they met, and Mr. Eaton, bringing two officers of the guards along with them, they went altogether to the house where Mrs. Hayes lodged. They went directly in and upstairs, at which Mr. Jones, who kept the house, demanded who and what they were. He was answered that they were sufficiently authorized in all they did, desiring him at the same time to bring candles, and he should see on what occasion they came. Light being thereupon brought, they went all upstairs together. Justice Lambert rapped at Mrs. Hayes' door with his cane. She demanded who was there, for that she was in bed, on which she was bid to get up and open it, or they would break it open. After some time taken to put on her clothes, she came and opened it. As soon as they were in the room, they seized her and Billings, who was sitting upon her bedside, without either shoes or stockings on. The justice asked whether he had been in bed with her, she said no, but that he sat there to mend his stockings. Why then, replied Mr. Lambert, he has very good eyes to see to do it without fire or candle, whereupon they seized him, too. And leaving persons below to guard them, they went up and apprehended Springate. After an examination in which they would confess nothing, they committed Billings to New Prison, Springate to the Gatehouse, and Mrs. Hayes to Tothill Fields Bridewell. The consciousness of her own guilt made Mrs. Hayes very assiduous in contriving such a method of behavior as might carry the greatest appearance of innocence. 
in the first place therefore she entreated mr longmore that she might be admitted to see the head in which request she was indulged by mr lambert who ordered her to have a sight of it as she came from tothill fields bridewell to her examination accordingly mr longmore attending the officers to bring mrs hayes from thence the next day to mr lambert's ordered the coach to stop at mr westbrook's door and as soon as he entered the house being admitted into the room she threw herself down upon her knees crying out in great agonies oh it is my dear husband's head it is my dear husband's head and embracing the glass in her arms kissed the outside of it several times in the meantime mr westbrook coming in told her that if it was his head she should have a plainer view of it that he would take it out of the glass for her to have a full sight of it which he did lifting it up by the hair and brought it to her taking it in her arms she kissed it and seemed in great confusion withal begging to have a lock of his hair but mr westbrook replied that he was afraid she had had too much of his blood already at which she fainted away and after recovering was carried to mr lambert's to be examined before him and some other justices of the peace while these things were in agitation one mr huddle and his servant walking in marlebone fields in the evening espied something lying in one of the ponds on the fields which after they had examined it they found to be the legs thighs and arms of a man they being very much surprised at this determined to search farther and the next morning getting assistance drained the pond where to their great astonishment they pulled out the body of a man wrapped up in a blanket with the news of which while mrs hayes was under examination mr crosby a constable came down to the justices not doubting but this was the body of mr hayes which he had found thus mangled and dismembered yet though she was somewhat confounded at the new discovery made hereby of the cruelty with which her late husband had been treated she could not however be prevailed on to make any discovery or acknowledgment of her knowing anything of the fact whereupon the justices who examined her committed her that afternoon to newgate the mob attending her thither with loud acclamations of joy at her commitment and ardent wishes of her coming to a just punishment as if they were already convinced of her guilt sunday morning following thomas wood came to town from greenford near harrow having heard nothing further of the affair or of the taking up of mrs hayes billings or springate the first place he went to was mrs hayes's old lodging there he was answered that she had moved to mr jones's a distiller a little farther in the street thither he went where the people suspected of the murder said mrs hayes was gone to the green dragon in king street which is mrs longmore's house and a man who was there told him moreover that he was going thither and would show him the way mr wood being on horseback followed him and he led him the way to mr longmore's house at this time mr longmore's brother coming to the door and seeing wood immediately seized him and unhorsing him dragged him indoors sent for officers and charged them with him on suspicion of the murder from thence he was carried before mr justice lambert who asked him many questions in relation to the murder but he would confess nothing whereupon he was committed to tothill fields bridewell while he was there he heard the various reports of persons concerning a murder and from those judging it impossible to prevent a full discovery or evade the proofs that were against him he resolved to name an ample confession of the whole affair mr lambert being acquainted with this he with john madden and thomas salt esquires two other justices of the peace went to tothill fields bridewell to take his examination 
in which he seemed very ingenuous and ample declaring all the particulars before mentioned with this addition that catherine hayes was the first promoter of and a great assistance in several parts of this horrid affair that he had been drawn into the commission thereof partly through poverty and partly through her crafty insinuations who by feeding them with liquors had spirited them up to the commission of such a piece of barbarity he farther acknowledged that ever since the commission of the fact he had had no peace but a continual torment of mind that the very day before he came from greenford he was fully persuaded within himself that he should be seized for the murder when he came to town and should never see greenford more notwithstanding which he could not refrain coming though under an unexpected certainty of being taken and dying for the fact having thus made a full and ample confession and signed the same on the twenty seventh march his mitimus was made by justice lambert and he was committed to newgate whither he was carried under a guard of a sergeant and eight soldiers with muskets and bayonets to keep off the mob who were so exasperated against the actors of such a piece of barbarity that without that caution it would have been very difficult to have carried him thither alive on monday the twenty eighth of march after mrs hayes was committed to newgate being the day after wood's apprehension joseph mercer going to see mrs hayes she told him that as he was thomas billings friend as well as hers she desired he would go to him and tell him twas in vain to deny any longer the murder of her husband for they were equally guilty and both must die for it billings hearing this and that wood was apprehended and had fully confessed the whole affair thought it needless to persist any longer in a denial and therefore the next day being the twenty ninth of march he made a full and plain discovery of the whole fact agreeing with wood in all the particulars which confession was made and signed in the presence of gideon harvey and oliver lambert esquires two of his majesty's justices of peace whereupon he was removed to newgate the same day that wood was wood and billings by their several confessions acquitting springate of having any concern in the aforesaid murder she was soon discharged from her confinement this discovery making a great noise in the town divers of mrs hayes's went to visit her in newgate and examine her as to the motives that induced her to commit the said fact her acknowledgment in general was that mr hayes had proved but an indifferent husband to her that one night he came home drunk and struck her that upon complaining to billings and wood they or one of them said such a fellow meaning mr hayes ought not to live and that they would murder him for a halfpenny she took that opportunity to propose her bloody intentions to them and her willingness that they should do so she was acquainted with their design heard the blow given to mr hayes by billings and then went with wood into the room she held the candle while the head was cut off and an excuse for this bloody fact said the devil was got into them all that made them do it when she was made sensible that her crime in law was not only murder but petty treason she began to show great concern indeed making very strict enquiries into the nature of the proof which was necessary to convict and having possessed herself with a notion that it appeared she murdered him with her own hands she was very angry that either billings or wood should by their confession acknowledge her guilty of the murder and thereby subject her to that punishment which of all others she most feared often repeating that it was hard they would not suffer her to be hanged with them when she was told of the common report that billings was her son she affected at first to make a great mystery of it said he was her own flesh and blood indeed but that he did not know how nearly he was related to her himself at other times she said she would never disown him while she lived and showed a greater tenderness for him than for herself 
and sent every day to the condemned hold where he lay to inquire after his health but two or three days before her death she became as the ordinary tells us a little more sincere in this respect affirming that he was not only her child but mr hayes's also though put out to another person with whom he was bred up in the country and called him father there are generally a set of people about most prisons and especially about newgate who get their living by imposing on unhappy criminals and persuading them that guilt may be covered and justice evaded by certain artful contrivances in which they profess themselves masters some of these had got access to this unhappy woman and had instilled into her a notion that the confession of wood and billings could no way affect her life this made her vainly imagine that there was no positive proof against her and that circumstantials only would not convict her for this reason she resolved to put herself upon her trial contrary to her first intentions for having been asked what she would do she had replied she would hold up her hand at the bar and plead guilty for the whole world could not save her accordingly being arraigned she pleaded not guilty and put herself upon her trial wood and billings both pleaded guilty and desired to make atonement for the same by the loss of their blood only praying that the court would be graciously pleased to favor them so much as they had made an ingenuous confession as to dispense with their being hanged in chains mrs hayes having thus put herself upon her trial the king's counsel opened the indictment setting forth the heinousness of the fact the premeditated intentions and the inhuman method of acting it that his majesty for the more effectual prosecution of such vile offenders and out of a tender regard to the peace and welfare of all his subjects and that the actors and perpetrators of such unheard-of barbarities might be brought to condign punishment had given them directions to prosecute the prisoners then richard bromage robert wilkins leonard myring joseph mercer john blakesby mary springate and richard bowes were called into court the substance of whose evidence against the prisoner was that the prisoner being interrogated about the murder when in newgate said the devil put it into her head but however john hayes was none the best of husbands for she had been half starved ever since she was married to him that she did not in the least repent of anything she had done but only in drawing those two poor men into this misfortune that she was six weeks importuning them to do it that they denied it two or three times but at last agreed her husband was so drunk that he fell out of his chair then billings and wood carried him into the next room and laid him upon the bed that she was not in that room but in the fore-room on the same floor when he was killed and they told her that billings struck him twice on the head with a pole-axe and that then wood cut his throat that when he was quite dead she went in and held the candle whilst wood cut his head quite off and afterwards they chopped off his legs and arms that they wanted to get him into an old chest but were forced to cut off his thighs and arms and then the chest would not hold them all the body and limbs were put into blankets at several times the next night and thrown into a pond that the devil was in them all and they were all drunk that it would signify nothing to make a long preamble she could hold up her hand and say she was guilty for nothing could save her nobody could forgive her that the men who did the murder were taken and confessed it that she was not with them when they did it that she was sitting by the fire in the shop upon a stool that she heard the blow given and somebody stamp that she did not cry out for fear they should kill her that after the head was cut off it was put into a pail and wood carried it out that billings sat down by her and cried and would lie all the rest of the night in the room with the dead body 
that the first occasion of this design to murder him was because he came home one night and beat her, upon which Billings said this fellow deserved to be killed, and Wood said he would be his butcher for a penny, that she told them they might do as they would do it the night that it was done, that she did not tell her husband of the design to murder him for fear he should beat her, that she sent to Billings to let him know it was in vain to deny the murder of her husband any longer, for they were both guilty and must both die for it. Many other circumstances equally strong with those before mentioned appeared, and a cloud of witnesses, many of whom, the thing appearing so plain, were sent away unexamined. She herself confessed at the bar her previous knowledge of their intent several days before the fact was committed, yet foolishly insisted on her innocence because the fact was not committed by her own hands. The jury, without staying long to consider of it, found her guilty, and she was taken from the bar in a very weak and faint condition. On her return to Newgate, she was visited by several persons of her acquaintance, who yet were so far from doing her any good that they rather interrupted her in those preparations which it became a woman in her sad condition to make. When they were brought up to receive sentence, Wood and Billings renewed their former request to the court that they might not be hung in chains. Mrs. Hayes also made use of her former assertion that she was not guilty of actually committing the fact, and therefore begged of the court that she might at least have so much mercy shown her as not to be burnt alive. The judges then proceeded in the manner prescribed by law, that is, they sentenced the two men with the other malefactors to be hanged, and Mrs. Hayes, as in all cases of petty treason, to die by fire at a stake, at which she screamed, and being carried back to Newgate, fell into violent agonies. When the other criminals were brought thither after sentence passed, the men were confined in the same place with the rest in their condition. But Mrs. Hayes was put into a place by herself, which was at that time the apartment allotted to women under condemnation. Perhaps nobody ever kept their thoughts so long and so closely united to the world as appeared by the frequent messages she sent to Wood and Billings in the place where they were confined, and that tenderness which she expressed for both of them seemed preferable to any concern she showed for her own misfortunes, lamenting in the softest terms of having involved those two poor men in the commission of a fact for which they were now to lose their lives in which, indeed, they deserved pity, since, as I shall show hereafter, they were persons of unblemished characters and of virtuous inclinations, until misled by her. As to the sense she had of her own circumstances, there has been scarce any in her state known to behave with so much indifference. She said often that death was neither grievous nor terrible to her in itself, but was in some degree shocking from the manner in which she was to die. Her fondness for Billings hurried her into indecencies of a very extraordinary nature, such as sitting with her hand in his at chapel, leaning upon his shoulder, and refusing, upon being reprimanded for giving offence to the congregation, to make any amendment in respect of these shocking passages between her and the murderers of her husband, but on the contrary she persisted in them to the very minute of her death. One of her last expressions was to inquire of the executioner whether he had hanged her dear child and this, as she was going from the sledge to the stake, so strong and lasting were the passions of this woman. The Friday night before her execution, being assured she should die on the Monday following, she attempted to make away with herself, to which purpose she had procured a bottle of strong poison, designing to have taken the same. But a woman who was in the place with her, touching it with her lips, found that it burnt them to an extraordinary degree, 
and spilling a little on her handkerchief, perceived it burnt that also, upon which, suspecting her intentions, she broke the file, whereby her design was frustrated. On the day of her execution she was at prayers and received the sacrament in the chapel, where she still showed her tenderness to Billings. About twelve the prisoners were severally carried away for execution. Billings, with eight others, for various crimes were put into three carts, and Catherine Hayes was drawn upon a sledge to the place of execution, where being arrived, Billings, with eight others, after having had some time for their private devotions, were turned off. After which, Catherine Hayes, being brought to the stake, was chained thereto with an iron chain running round her waist and under her arms, and a rope about her neck, which was drawn through a hole in the post. Then the faggots, intermixed with light brushwood and straw, being piled all round her, the executioner put fire thereto in several places, which immediately blazing out, as soon as the same reached her, with her arms she pushed down those which were before her. When she appeared in the middle of the flames as low as her waist, the executioner got hold of the end of the cord which was round her neck, and pulled it tight, in order to strangle her. But the fire soon reached his hand and burnt it, so that he was obliged to let it go again. More faggots were immediately thrown upon her, and in about three or four hours she was reduced to ashes. In the meantime, Billings' irons were put upon him as he was hanging on the gallows, after which, being cut down, he was carried to the gibbet, about one hundred yards distance, and there hung up in chains. End of chapter 20 Recording by Colleen McMahon